Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hensel Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, podcast at words, Irish, Irish words and words from Ireland. I'm Dara O'Shea. I'm Clodagh McGinley. And our special guest today is Ashlyn Carroll. Hello. Watch Ashlyn. Ashley's been very kind enough today. There's something that's been on my mind for some time. Every now and then people get in touch with me on the Irish Four or on Motherfucker Lore through their email address. And they bring to mind certain wacky theories about Irish, about language, particularly, you know, about that Atlantis, you know, the lost city of Atlantis was yeah. actually Ireland. Well, I've never heard that before, <laughs> but I like um, it. <laughs> and you know how, yeah, that the actual, the pyramids that are like, uh, apparently are, um, the, the design of the pyramids isn't written in Newgrange somewhere, if you look, if you know where what? to look. Oh yeah, it's because the Irish built the pyramids. Of course they did. And then after they built Newgrange and, and so forth. And there's a lot of wacky theories about, you know, um, the, those, those red and Sometimes they say, well, you can't unprove it because there's no, if there's nothing written, you don't, no one knows what happened then. So it must have been this thing. And I'm often reminded of the Family Guy episode of Ireland Before Whiskey. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, where everything was, was, was like Wakanda or something. And, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't like that. But one of the interesting theories that does come up every now and then was that the Celts or the Gaels or the Gaelic people, are Irish people and possibly Scottish people too, were a descended as a lost tribe of Israel. And this is a recurring one. And I thought, you know what? Let's let's kick the tires this idea. Let's first of all talk about what the base of the theory is and then we'll talk about who who whether it holds any weight or not. I thought who better than a classicist and someone with a, with a, with a good knowledge of the Hebrew language and as well as being an all-round sounder. <laughs> and Ashling, who better than to come along and take try this theory out and talk about it. So, Ashlyn, why do people think this? Well, first, like, I, I was reading some of the articles about it, you know, have to do my research and stuff. <laughs> and one one of them that stood out to me was that the Celts come, because, you, you know, you have the 12 tribes of Israel, that, and one of them was that the Celts are from the tribe of Dan, because the tribe of Dan were like these seafaring people and then obviously um these like dan descendants were the tuha de danon okay and you know these giant fairy okay. people who so came we, to ireland so the giant the giant fairy people came to ireland <laughs> yes. so we know 
It's a great start to the whole episode. This just okay. sets the tone. Okay. Let, let, let's start with Eric. So we have the, the two of the Danon. We, we know the two of the Danon from Irish history, from mm-hmm. uh, Irish history mythology. We know that the tribe of Dan uh, in 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 Hebrew lore yeah. and Hebrew history. Um, it is that all we need for connection? Well, like <laughs> there's, I like to say it's 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 coincidentally similar, like. You know, I, I, I have a very uh, uh, knowledge of Irish and a slightly better knowledge of biblical Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember studying, actually pronunciation, some of the stuff. I'm like, oh, that's quite similar. Like, um, I find, you know, the, the ch sound, okay. we, you know, to learn it, we'd be like, like, like mm. loch. We'd oh, be yeah. like, you know, chayin or something. Um and you know some of the grammar rules, like okay. it's. So we get to this that, that the one of the reasons after we we know that the Tua de Danon definitely came from one of the tribes of Israel. Oh yeah, that's we know. And you know what? That's... Like, insist insisting in more proof is just weird. You know, it's just it's just, it's it's <laughs> almost, you know. But let's say hypothetically, someone said, you know what? I need a little bit more proof than the fact that there's a three letter one syllable that I matches uh, a, a, a three letter syllable in another group. And it has been pointed out that there are some similarities between the Hebrew language and the Irish language. First of all, structurally as well as kind of some word sounds. And one of these is there's yeah, go ahead. Is, it's a verb, subject, object in both languages, which is rare enough. We do some front verbing. Hmm? Front verbing. Yeah. <laughs> front verbing. Yeah. Oh, bane of my life. Um You don't like front verbing? No, <laughs> it shows up in most of the languages I do. So, <laughs> okay. so that's so. Is it possible to say that while there is uh, front loading of verbs in in Hebrew and Irish, there's other languages too? So this in itself isn't a connection. No, it, no, it couldn't be. Now, no, I wouldn't mm-hmm. think so. I mean, you, you've only got uh, you know a not like a finite amount of or, orders to yeah. put verbs in that's true <laughs> it's yeah so it's subject object verb yeah for and then famously during the uh when the, when the great recession happened there was suggested that germans were better listeners than greek people because in german german people when they speak german are trained to wait for the verb which you know hinges the sentence on whereas greek people um they stop listening very early in the sentence because they've had their verb and <laughs> this was a theory that this is how these two cultures move differently and maybe it's bollocks who knows quite like it yeah i know i i remember watching this youtube video it was about this um linguist and he was talking about like con conlangs which are you know constructed languages so he's um he was doing fictional ones like dothraki and parcel tongue for some reason and like um elvish from lord of the rings and klingon and i can't remember which language it was i i think it I, I I can't remember, but he was talking about that um the the word order they went for was one of the least used used, which was I think object subject verb or object Ooh. verb subject because and the person who created this conlang was like this is one of the least used ones, so I'm going to use it for my fictional language to make it seem that more alien. Crumbs. It's it's really interesting for me the, the amount of attention that does go into these mm. uh, languages and some whether they've listened to um, that amount of attention that goes into uh, fake languages yeah. uh, 
particularly obviously the amount of there's people who do have debates about Klingon in Klingon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hamlet has been performed in Klingon. No. Yeah, no. Stephen Fry did like a documentary about, like it was a six-parter, I think, called Fry's Planet Word, and it showed like them doing Hamlet in Klingon on stage and mm. him watching it. It was it was really funny. I like, cause Obviously, I don't speak Klingon, but y- you can do Klingon in Duolingo, actually. Really? Yeah. Or or it's coming. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. For me, I was just watching it, and it was just these like, like people kind of screaming on stage. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned Klingon because there's an episode of Frasier. I was just going to say, yes. yeah, I was literally just going to bring that up. Like he, it's um Frasier's son's bar mitzvah, and um he asks a colleague to teach him Hebrew or to translate his speech into Hebrew. But Frazier doesn't do a particular favour for his colleagues, so the colleague sabotages him and teaches him Klingon instead. So Frazier performs his entire son's bar mitzvah speech in Klingon. And it's hilarious. But like it isn't they're similar though. I mean, Mm -hmm. well to the naked ear, to the naked ear, maybe not. You know, thing in that you sometimes you there are certain sounds, there are certain kind of recurring sounds, and this is something we talked about in the in our machine translation episode, that there are certain three letter combinations that are more frequent in certain languages than others. And that they use these three it's they use these three three letter four letter combinations to to identify which language is which in things like google translate that's how say they they identify say there's um there's not many ghdhs in other languages other than irish and that's maybe how they might recognize those ones and similarly but the this takes us into maybe the next part of possible similarities between hebrew and irish which is they have lenition yeah. Or that they actually, they change sent words slightly depending on their sentence order. Um, yeah, I I think, um, is that like if you're adding, like, say, because I know in Hebrew they do, they do this, the word, or the letter Vav is just the word for, like, and. Yeah. And if you put that between, or before um, certain letters, it, it changes, like, the pronunciation completely. Yeah. yeah. So we you it's uh, the letters well i'm just gonna say it in english but it's b m and p so it'd be like bet mem and pay and if you put um like, like usually if you're saying and it would be v something but be- before those three letters it's ooh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i don't i don't know why <laughs> but <laughs> okay and and then obviously the well, perhaps the biggest part of the this great theory that the lost tribe of Israel went on to populate Scotland, little bits of Wales and Ireland, was that some words look a bit similar. Yeah. Some sim- words with slightly similar meanings have slightly similar looks about them. Yeah. And then so this is maybe some do we for there's maybe one or two examples you might have. I'm trying I'm I'm trying to think. I can think of one off the top of my head, which okay. is just l. Yeah. Which means, uh, you know, in, in Irish, you've got like lum, lat, and mm-hmm. it's like to me, I think. Yes. It's the same in Hebrew. It'd be like li, lak, lo. Hey, hey, Derek here. And Gerodian here. We just want to tell you about the Dublin Podcast Festival, which is coming this autumn. We're going to be doing a live show at the Sugar Club on the 10th of October. We're going to do an hour-long special on satire from the old medieval times up to the present day. And we're going to be doing a collaboration with the Irish History Podcast. They're going to be there too, so we're going to have a lot of fun. You can buy tickets now at Ticketmaster. 
Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> or yes, or even look up, look up DublinPodcastFestival.ie. Will you be joined by some of your mother folklore regulars, such as myself and Imer Duffy? And Patter. Oh yeah, Hooker that guy as well. That guy as well. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of fun and we can't wait to see you there. Some of the examples of words in Hebrew that sound like words in Irish include olak, meaning corrupted in Hebrew, and olk, meaning wicked in Irish. Olaf, meaning to teach in Hebrew, and olive, meaning a learned person in Irish. Bola, meaning to swallow, and bale, meaning the mouth in Irish. Kun, to lament in Hebrew, and queen, to lament in Irish. Tanur, a furnace in Hebrew, and Tina, a fire in Irish. Some of the slightly vaguer connections suggested by Mr. Charles Edwards include Ben, a structure or building, and Bun, a foundation in Irish. Boash, a Hebrew word meaning to corrupt or to rot, and he suggests that sounds like boss, meaning death in Irish. And Kur, meaning white or pale, suggests that means Kir, meaning dark in Irish. Well, maybe that's an opposite word, but who knows, it's been suggested. So what does this all mean? So actually, one of the, um, I was doing a bit of research on this because I, I, I wanted to prove, is this theory true or not? I really want to know if I am a tour de Danon and, <laughs> and, and if we, we have this link to Israel or not. It's particularly true, interesting because there's a forest named after Eamon de Valera in Israel. Is there? Yeah, he was visiting Nazareth. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was when he, during his presidency or when he was Taoiseach, but he saw the revival of Hebrew in Israel as the role model for reviving Irish. And he's very interested in it. What he didn't, what he hadn't took, taken account for was that in the country of Israel, people, Hebrew was a kind of, it was a second language for a lot of people who had different first languages, such as Russian, yeah. English, German, and so forth. Whereas everyone who spoke Irish tended to speak English. So he didn't have the unifying factor. But, so mm. here's, this is just a piece of a text from Plautus, the writer, the Roman writer. Mm, yeah. And which is, which happens to be translated in, in this, there's versions of this in, in Phoenician and in early Irish. And the, the opening kind of uh, five letter words in Phoenician are Behlem Mathim Nokahi. Yeah, it it sounds right, like Bithlim. It's it's harder to read when it's in Latin, mm-hmm. like letters. <laughs> but okay. Bithlim mochthim nociofi nel ech anti. Yeah, and then in the Irish, Bethorn mahirna nociatha nil ach anti. Okay, so there's a lot of similar sounds there. Yeah, but I, I'll tell you, like okay. Bith means house. Yeah. And I'm, I don't, I don't think, I think that's just a coincidence if I'm going to be this completely is, honest. And this is, this is probably when we get to the absolute key point, I think, you know, words sounding a bit similar doesn't mean anything. I know. <laughs> Even if the words have fairly similar meanings. And I'm so glad that we <laughs> cracked this open today. The fact is, so we do hear crackpot linguistic theories do do the rounds and you know what sometimes they're just very interesting and not so much interesting that they they bring to light funny stuff and while it they're, sometimes they're, they're, you do get some similar sounding words in language languages as different as Hebrew and Irish that does not necessarily mean there's a direct link between these two it do, what it does mean it, it can sometimes give us the opportunity debunking these myths does give us the opportunity to talk about both languages what is similar what is different 
and also what the two languages can learn from each other and what the joy of learning languages, where that can take you if you continue to look beyond just the stuff. If you stop looking when you found something that, that, that suits what you already believe, mm-hmm. you're never going to get anywhere. But if you look beyond what, what actually suits your preconceived notions, then you can really, really find amazing things. Like you've done actually, you've just found some really wonderful stuff. You've um, you probably never thought you're going to do a degree in in, no. in, the, in these and in, in classical languages. Not at all. No, I'm really glad I did though. I really like it. How did it happen? Um, it's it's kind of a funny story. So when I was I I really like art. So when I was in secondary school, I was dead set on doing animation. I was like, I'm I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to focus on anything else. I'm drawing, drawing, drawing. And then I went to higher options and I picked up a UCD prospectus. And I remember flicking through it, being like, you know, not going to do anything from here. And then I was like, oh oh, you can do classics as a subject. That because mm-hmm. I've always loved Greek mythology. I was like, that's that's interesting. So then I went to like all the open days and. Trinity's was the last open day and I remember going up, up to the classic stall and you know what'll I do it with and they they were like Jewish and Islamic civilizations and I was like oh really okay so I went over to the stall and I just was convinced right there mm. and then and yeah I it was going to be um kind of my like classics was always going to be the main one and Jewish and Islamic was going to be like the the kind of one on the side but mm. that no that changed completely like i dropped classics after three years and continued mm. Jewish and Islamic. And then, um, yeah, I'm going to keep up the Hebrew and hopefully going to do it next year when I do my master's. And yeah, it, it, when I went to Israel, it actually did come in handy because I could read all the signs. Because <laughs> I found when we, there was Greek was available in my school and it was one of the, it's one of the very few secondary schools in Ireland that still does it. And I, there's a lad a couple of years ahead of me. And he was uh, eye on topping after first year exams in around Crete or around, around Greece. And he did try out his school Greek and when he wanted to get a ferry over to Crete. But what he actually said was more like along the lines of Hala Nave, where, whereupon that I might get a trireme <laughs> to the land of the Minotaurs. Yeah, my um, my Hebrew teacher, <laughs> she um, speak, like does ancient Greek as well. Hmm. And she was saying that... Um, one of her friends who's Greek, they can always tell when someone will come up and try to practice ancient Greek on them. <laughs> they have this certain look about them. I bet they do. <laughs> yeah, I probably had it when I was in Israel. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I remember um, texting my friend and I, I said like the what I thought was the equivalent to like my man, which is like um, Ishi and he said he just burst out laughing in the middle of his work because he's like that was the most archaic thing I've ever heard in my life and mm. I was like oh oh no <laughs> is it yeah, like like zounds or something almost probably even older than that yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing because when you go back far enough there's certain words that haven't changed but there's obviously other words that have yeah and that's the thing so but you've um so you like even there, some a lot of the research or so-called research connecting Irish and Scots Gaelic to Hebrew focuses on very old Hebrew and very very old versions of Irish, mm-hmm. particularly those versions of Irish um, that will that precede modern spelling. Yeah, in which anything goes, and it's it's, it's relatively easy to shoehorn. I think I think as well that the fact that the the Canaanite texts came from. Plautus, who was mm. a Roman, I think you have to kind of bear in mind that the Romans had the view that, you know, the the, the Canaanites were like 
barbarians essentially like mm. you know like and they probably like the the gauls were around too you know the the celts and the gauls so they they were probably you know lumping them in with the same kind of category you know that they're just not roman so mm -hmm. the, the coincidences i'd say would probably like plot us probably you know getting a lot of different languages and just throwing it into the because it's it's hard to prove that it was proper like grammatically correct mm. like phoenician you know of course <laughs> yeah th those these things are hard to hard to prove at the time yeah and plus the whole like romans versus the carthaginians they hated them so the mm. the punic wars you know that that would have happened uh recently enough and that was like that's a that's a big big event in roman history so yeah post-Punic Wars, like, everyone hated the Carthaginians and the Phoenicians. And this was when they sowed salt in the soil. Yeah, they salted the earth and, yeah, they just destroyed them. Because <laughs> at the time, this is, I remember we, we did this in school when I was doing Latin school, we were studying the Punic Wars and Scipio Africanus yeah. uh, versus Hannibal, Hannibal the Great, and Hannibal bring the elephants, elephants over, over the, the Alps. Alps. Yeah. Which definitely happened. Well... <laughs> you never know. No, I was I was thinking because I suppose I was, I was it's it's something I have always held an interest in. But one of the things was that at, this is around the time that salt would have been seen as a commercial commodity similar to gold. That's where salad the word salary comes from. Oh. So to put salt in the actual soil seemed like a ridiculously extravagant punishment for a land. Uh, like the Romans did have a grudge, though. So yeah, they could they. They were a salty bunch of lads. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that they were. That they were. But so were the Carthaginians after. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely, I think it it really set a nice framework for the rest of world history to go, yeah. you know. <laughs> so in your studies of Hebrew, are there any beautiful words that you've come across um, that you'd like to share? I really like the word tikva. Tikva. Hope. That's lovely. Yeah, it's really cute. It's it's um it's a name as well. Like you you'll have Israeli girls being named Tikva and Hadar as well, which means like beauty. My friends actually called Hadar. Hadar. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I because I, I met her when I was in Israel last year, and then this year in college I was doing some translations, and Hadar came up, and I was like, ah, mm. that's my friend. <laughs> She's beautiful. <laughs> mm. But it's also a, a boy's name as well. Hadar. Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd recognize like is Israeli names are very like one syllable. Like I I love I love the name Gal because it's just it's just you're such a gal. It's classic. And yeah. This was when you think of Gal being short for girl, but also Gal means fury in Irish. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Apt. <laughs> <laughs> All too apt. It's interesting though because even that word Gal as an example of like how you could link the different languages together. You could mm -hmm. easily say that you know. The word, the slang word gal in English comes from Hebrew, which maybe it does. I don't know. Could be corrected on that. But like, you know, like there are lots of examples you could use for that. And I think how it's it just is. people reaching. I think so. Uh, yeah. But also what's really struck me recently is that, and I found sometimes I on the Irish before I share a word, and someone goes, oh, does this, does this English word come from this Irish word? And some people say, yes, it definitely does. And somebody goes, no, it absolutely definitely doesn't. And they actually... Because the, of the way the burden of proof works, they can often be even more extreme than people who say it does. The people who say, you know what, crack definitely doesn't come from Irish. And, you know, this is this word. We know in, in Northern Ireland, they'd often still call a friend mucker, me mucker. 
and it, it seems to be a, a driv- drive from Makara. Mm. Oh. But also, Mokar does have a separate existence in maybe in in World War Two comics. So go, go on, you old mucker. <laughs> and they, yes, mucker. They're both the word mucker, but they're different words and they're different entries in the dictionary. Under the word mucker, there'll be one word, the Irish expression, one two. And while they're they're fairly similar, like when, once we this is we, on the internet recently, someone said, "Oh, you don't tell people that mucker comes from Makara because the." British dictionary says it comes from you know this World War Two RAF slang and I think well they're two different words and the reason this comes in is uh, they used to, in old movies they would refer to a cop in New York as a Seamus. Oh. You might remember this if you watch, if you ever watched the very old black and white films. That's so funny because me and my friend yesterday were talking about the etymology of like paddy wagon. Yes. And how you know um, in in the US it's. It's because like all the, the first kind of policemen were all Irish immigrants. But then in the UK, it's because all the Irish were getting arrested. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that, that's what Wikipedia says anyway. <laughs> and and there's, there's an argument for both of that, that they said, because oh, a lot of the, some of the, the, there were a lot of expressions in New York referred to geography opinions of the Irish. The fact that the, the train to Brooklyn was called the, or the train to Queens was called the whiskey train. And then... As like as the Irish community got replaced by different communities, it suddenly got different nicknames. But Seamus is a name for a cop. Obviously, we think there's a lot of cops called Seamus, but also in Hebrew, a Shamash was a rabbi's assistant, and this was typically a, a job that went to a notorious tattletale, a real grass. Shemesh means sun as well, like oh. the sun. Oh, does it? Yeah, it comes from the like um the pre Israelite kind of god. They just that was his name, Shemesh, oh. God of the Sun. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's and I'm trying to remember the moon. I think it's just the same word for month, but I'm not sure, which is Chodesh. I'm not sure. Chodesh. <laughs> yeah. It's, I like yeah. That. I, I really like like Hebrew and its pronunciations. And I, I know like a lot of people might think it's quite like a harsh language, but I think it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. you know. And it was completely accidental that I did it as well, but I love it so much. So. And one thing I got to ask is that when you um, when you study a language like Hebrew, which has a new alphabet, mm. how does that go? Um, okay, at the start, it was it was quite tough. Like at the start, I genuinely I was like, I'm drawing pictures. That's it, and I'm never going to learn this. But after like like three or four weeks, like it just clicks, and I can just write it like mm. like like that now and. And you're not left-handed, just, are you? Hmm? Are you left-handed? No, okay. but <laughs> you, it, you get used to it. You really mm-hmm. do. Um, I like I have uh, my own like Bible in Hebrew at home just for assignments and stuff. And, you know, you just get used to all the, the books are bound differently as mm-hmm. well. So you know, because they're being read from like right to left. So it's you just get used to it. And then. Yeah, when I was in Israel, like all the books were <laughs> completely mm. like right to left. Like going in the, into the library, the one time I went to the library in the university there for ten minutes because the computers weren't working, so I left after ten minutes. But um, like all the mm. books were bound completely differently. But and are the lines like easily distinguishable from each other? Because like when I look at Hebrew, I see just like a series of like lines and kind of random. I don't even know. Like it, it does look like drawings that are done like a quill or something almost. Because even like with other languages, like say Russian, at least you have specific letters. Because I even found that like, but they are letters. They are like I yeah. mean, but do you find that like they're you know like 
do they just look kind of like pictures more than letters? Because no, I mean, maybe at the start, but for me now, they would definitely just look like letters. Like I can, I, and it's a, I find it weird that people can't read it. It's funny, yeah. Because I'm yeah. so used to it, you know? That's the thing, yeah, no, because even... Like I was trying to like teach myself Russian eight it's going like I'm still learning. It's actually like a lovely it's people think that's a really harsh language, but it is a lovely language. At least with Russian you still have some kind of like clear like a letter. It looks like a letter, I suppose, because some letters are very similar to the Roman alphabet, but with Hebrew, mm. to me that just looks like random kind of like lines and symbols, almost like a pictorial language, like Chinese or something. Yeah. I I s yeah, but they are they are very picture looking letters, but they are definitely letters. Mm-hmm. Um they they would like they're not like um hieroglyphics or anything like each letter is pronounced though mm. like mm-hmm. it, the pronunciation doesn't change unless you like point it differently and pointing is the vowels because uh with hebrew as with modern hebrew anyway there's no vowels you just kind of mm. know them like they use vowels when they're teaching like tiny children yes and <laughs> i feel really bad because i'm like i can't read it without vowels <laughs> so but so how, the, how does that work in terms of just you is, um, are, the, are the vowels assumed as being n ends of the consonants or no see you draw like the vowels like under the the the, the letters so they're mm. like little dots and or dashes and they call it pointing and then it just depending on what way you point it it just like that's how you pronounce it but with modern hebrew it's like you just they just know from context because you know it's their first language so they just they just know but that like there's a lot of problems with that and there's problems even with um like biblical hebrew with the like pointing because the word like two and four is the same word it's Mm -hmm. la so you know you people are like scholars are trying to translate a biblical passage and they're they are a letter or something and they're like i don't know if this for someone or to someone and mm-hmm. you just kind of have to guess and yeah it's hard but it's it's kind of it's fun it's fun that's good mm. so and before we wrap up do you have a favorite irish word uh i would say it's puka puka yeah it's a great one isn't oh it? it's lovely yeah. <laughs> I like the saying it, like the sound it makes as well is what it means. Yeah, I I had a Pokemon called Puka once. Wasn't it so interesting the way that Pokemon came out? It was, again, uh, it sounded like a Puka, like a ghost or kind of a little monster in Irish. Oh, I never it's even just, thought of that. And it ties back in with these linguistic coincidences. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that is cool. Isn't it just? <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> but yeah, so on that note, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a slant from me. A slant from me. And a slant from me. We'll catch you next time. Hi, it's Clodagh here from today's podcast. Thank you so, so much for listening. You can rate us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. Thank you very, very much to Brian for producing today's show. And thank you to Kirsten Jill for doing the artwork. Mother Folklore is out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks, Brian. That's all for me.